Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Burnley. Except no subject. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Acton Millwall, number one Millwall podcast. It's the Neil and Nick's History Hour. The February fixtures loom in front of us for the next well, hour or so. But first of all, I want to say a huge welcome back. He is back. I, I should have that um, I'm back in New York City song playing, but it'll probably break copyright. Big welcome back to the, the man himself, Neil Fistler. How are you, mate? Not too bad, Nick. Not too bad. It's great to be back. And I think when we went on, I'm back. You're back. Yes, let's draw a hospital curtain around the hiatus for you, shall we? Um, it's just great oh. to see you back on the show, mate. Um, yeah, no, I feel a lot better. A lot better. Good. Got one or two things sorted out. Great to hear, mate. Um, we are here, as I've said already, to look at Mill's fixtures, a particularly packed February now. Actually, I, I, I opened up the, um, the the BBC's fixture um, planner for for Mill. I thought, blimey, it was a short month. We've got seven fixtures to get through this today between us. It's um, it's quite tight, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I thought, oh well, yeah, we'll have four fixtures today. Looked on the That's cover, right. I see you, we were playing, and there's seven. <laughs> I thought, oh, oh, oh God. Thank, thank you, COVID. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not sure I can sit for that long. <laughs> no, I'm not sure I can talk about Millwall for that long, listeners, but I'm sure we can. We, we've, I don't know how many hundreds of shows we've done now, so we can talk about it. My wife is endlessly fascinated by the amount of conversation that flows from a relatively small football club. <laughs> but there we are. Um, so we have seven fixtures to get through, Neil. First up is um, next Tuesday, Mill. Playing Preston at home. Shall I begin? Shall I kick us off with my, my yeah, choice? Yeah, go on, man. Yeah, well, I picked out a nice one for Preston. I've well. picked out one from 1973, listeners, and the day before my birthday. I was 13 the day after this 5 1 win for the Lions over Preston North End. Um, I don't know if I was there. I might have been. I might not have been. I was, I was quite young for midweek football at the den back then. Um, but this, I do remember. One incident, this is a 5-1 win for Lions, a hat-trick for a great striker, Neil Alfwood, um, one of my favourite all-time strikers in a, in a, in a Millwall shirt. Uh, and this was a night for a hat-trick for, for Alfie. And also goals for uh, Brian Clark and I believe it's Steve Brown. I'm just looking at the, the I've got a match report here from the, the Daily Mirror. 
I'm going to read it, if I may. Um, Alf is on target as Mill showed Bobby, and that Bobby, listeners, is Bobby Charlton, who was managing Preston. And the incident that I remember, was, I think it might be another Preston game, if, if not a midweek, but a Saturday fixture. He was, act, he was applauded along the, the touchline. Um, Jack Charlton was applauded when he came managing um, Middlesbrough. And Bobby Charlton received an ovation from the Mill support as he walked along pre-match um to the to the uh the, the trainers dugouts very very few managers um i can't think of many others clough i think is the only other one that springs to mind received an ovation um helped i suppose by the fact that we beat him 5-1 afterwards because he wasn't a terribly good manager bobby Charlton, was he no great player pretty yeah. average manager and i think he quite acknowledged it in the end didn't he i think he didn't he he took over Preston North End when he left Manchester United. I think he took a certain Nobby Styles with him. He did because Styles was playing. Um, I think it might be a fixture after this, but um, certainly Styles was playing in the game that I did see when when um, Bobby Chant was applauded out. Um, and obviously both World Cup winning players. Yeah, but I think he realised it. His life was more towards business at that end because he became a very successful businessman. I think he had travel agency. Didn't he have a soccer school, the Bobby Charlton Soccer School? You probably yeah. remember that from the from yeah. the piece. Yeah, there's not many people get a standing ovation. I can only think of Paul Merson down the new ground. I can't think of very many others. Well, Merson got that after an absolutely masterful display. I think it was a Pompey, wasn't it? They beat us 5-0 yeah, right. at home. And it was um, like Gascoigne, Neil. Um, Merson on fire. Gascoigne was on fire when when Spurs beat us back in the in the first division days. And one thing you've got to take your hat off to the Mill crowd, and, you know, it's, it's much maligned in the media, but they do, when they see um, a different level, they will acknowledge it. And I think Gascoigne and, um, and, and Merson will attest to that because both received... Good applause off the pitch, despite destroying us on, on both occasions. Um, but yeah, Bobby Charlton managing Preston in this five-one loss. I, I was um, five, it struck me. Brian Clark was a great uh, striker. But I haven't got your book to hand. Your your who's who book. I should have brought it upstairs, and I've left it downstairs. So I haven't got his numbers, listeners. But Brian Clark, I think, came to us via Cardiff City, near if memory serves. He, he does, and I, I funnily enough, I was going to make mention of him. In the Cardiff City. Okay. Uh, we'll come back to him in that case. Yeah. But, well, I'll do it anyway. He scored 20 goals in 84 appearances. Joined us from Bournemouth. I think he used to actually Bournemouth, was it? From Bournemouth. I think he went to Cardiff, Bournemouth, yeah. and then back to Cardiff again. Of course, he's actually famous for being the first goal scorer on a Sunday. That's right. Yeah. Against Fulham. A game that I was at. Um, 11.30 kickoff, and we kicked off before everybody else in this newfangled experiment called Sunday Football. Quite revolutionary in its in its day. I remember yeah, feeling well, really, really strange to be travelling up from Mottingham up to up to New Cross on a Sunday morning. Everything. This was an era, listeners, where Sunday meant things were shut and it was quiet. Not now. Definitely shut. The paper shop opened for about three hours in the morning, that and then it. that was it. Your supermarket wasn't open. If you didn't have anything... You went hungry. There were no takeaways. <laughs> there were no anything back in the, back in those days, were there? No, different era. I mean, it, it sounds like Charles Dickens this time when you say this to youngsters, and often they they think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was the way it was, I and mean, less traffic on the roads. It was quiet. Sunday was quiet, and it certainly wasn't a football day. 
Um, but yeah, you're right. Brian Clark scored. I think he scored a famous goal for Cardiff, Neil. In um, was it a cup winners' cup win over someone like Inter Milan or AC Milan, one of the Italian clubs? Real Madrid, Real Madrid, Real Madrid. Um, good striker, great striker. But I, I've picked out Alf, big Alf Wood, one of my favourite strikers. A great the striker story. as well. To be fair, Alf Wood wasn't he? I think you speak absolutely. To... You speak to the older generation on Hoff, and Alf Wood is in those hollow tones, isn't he? he? Sadly, sadly, actually died two or three years ago with dementia. I think is... he was suffering dementia, which is very sad. Yeah, way to, to finish your life. Um, yeah, 115 appearances for Alf Wood. I picked these figures out as, as, on my notes here. 45 goals from 115 appearances, 1972-75 for Millwall. Um, I think he moved on to Middlesbrough after us. He played for Manchester City, and I think he made a Wembley appearance in his late um, period of Stafford Rangers. And I think it might have been an FA Trophy final, winning um, the trophy at Wembley, I believe. Yeah, quite ironically, I think he ended up running a uh, he ended up running a sports shop and trophy business, and actually supplied the trophies for a lot of uh, the football league finals. Did he? Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. I didn't know it. Great player, rugged. Um, he came in when we we'd lost Barry Bridges, and I think Posse was looking to get out of the club. And I think the the intention of Benny Fenton when Alf signed was that it was going to be a, a Posse and Alf Wood duo, which never really worked out. But that would have been some some strike force in an effort to shoot our way back to the Division One contention. That never happened either. But. Um, Alf Wood, yeah, take my hat off to him. He was he was a great striker. So that's my choice of Preston fixture, Neil, from 1973. What, what what did you go for, mate? Did you have one? I've gone for the I've gone for a home game. It was on the fourth of October, 1930. So wow. I've gone back to a time when you remember very well, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ignore this because he's, he's, he's been a sick man, listeners. I'm going to ignore these little jibes. <laughs> It was a game that finished Millwall 5, Preston North End 7. 5-7? Five, 5-7 seven. Five, wow. five, seven at home. Gary Rowett would be having a stroke, wouldn't he, by now? <laughs> I'm going to have to look this one up as you're talking. Yeah, that's, that's some scoreline to, to score 5 and get beat. I mean, you know, it's um, that's incredible. Uh, our goal scorers were Jimmy Poxton got 2. Uh he was an outside left dude. Actually, had an England trial when he was at West Brom. Scored under, uh, played hundred and fifty six games. Scored thirty five goals for us. It was actually a bit of a penalty taker. Scored twelve penalties wow. after taking his time to break into the team. And actually, later in life, won a British Empire medal. So we've actually got somebody with a well with an initial. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know that Danny Baker or. Or somebody thought it was quite good that we had a sir playing for us. Didn't somebody hit us up on Twitter after they got my book? So George Roby, would be, yeah, that's right. Yeah. George Roby, weren't they? So we've had a couple of of OBEs, MBEs, and British Empire medals. But uh, uh, Jimmy Forsyth, I think we spoke about him a couple of times. We mentioned his name. I've just found the fixture. There it is, as you say, rightly, Neil. It's in 19, 1930. Um, 4th of October, 1930. I'm just looking at Mill's results going into... I mean, we had one win, a 5-1 win, incidentally, listeners. Otherwise, we got beat uh, 2-1 the following week. 5-7, we're talking about here against Preston. The week before, 4-1. Um, I mean, as you say, Gary Rowe would be <laughs> fit, wouldn't he? With a losing track record, shipping goals on that, on that. But also, the seemingly, the strange ability to score goals. When we win, 
there's a four nil win there knocking around in September against Reading. We seem to score big, so it's a very odd combination. Unpredictability. Yeah, I think it was the kind of time where 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 there are a lot of goals in games, weren't there? Well, quite obviously, that's probably stating the obvious, but we had quite actually... a decent team. We had Duncan Uly in goal, Sid Sweetman, Jimmy Pipe, Lem Newcomb, Billy Bryant, who was a... We've England mentioned his name before. Yeah, yep. yeah. A number of times, haven't we? Jimmy Forsyth, yeah. Harold Wadsworth, Joe Reedman. Jack Cock, Les Smith, and Jimmy Poxton. So not a bad, not a bad scene. But to have someone like Billy Bryant in there, who was an England amateur international, played yeah. for Clapton, I think, in a couple of FA Amateur Cup finals. So under the management of um, dear Bob Hunter, who we've um, recently, thank, um, I'm really pleased to announce we've been able to arrange a plaque for it on the on the wall when, whenever it gets fitted. I, I think that may be later on this year for the, the, the memorial plaque for, for Bill um, Bob Hunter. This would have been under the kind of last couple of seasons of his management. So one of the great names of, of Millwall. That's, that's a fantastic result. I mean, to to score well, we run five. Lucky, apparently, we're unlucky according to the Sunday Mirror. Really? So it's not often that a spect uh, that the spectators at New Cross have the pleasure of seeing twelve goals scored during a match. Tell me about it. Probably dampened <laughs> a trifle by the fact that Millwall scored five. Yet were beaten by Preston North End with seven. The home side, however, may regard themselves as unlucky in losing. Well, you let in seven. I don't think you're looking. No, you're going to you've got to take your medicine there, Neil, haven't you? Um, I do. <laughs> I, I do. Score five. You don't expect to lose, do you? Really? I think. You know, I think it's summed up quite <laughs> nicely do. about that game. Must have been absolutely a mad game. Fourteen thousand there, and, and a couple of hundred. Um, I do like the florid, florid, you know, the kind of flowing style of the old school journalists. Uh, listeners, I'm, I'm, as, as I've got a journalist on the on the phone right now with me, I'm going to sort of urge him to up his up his rugby reporting in the same style, with longer words and more florid, you know, flowery style of language. No need to reply, Mister Faisler. Okay, we're going to move along. <laughs> um, full, next game along in uh, February's Fulham fixture, which we're all anticipating might be another seven goal. <laughs> Eight goal <laughs> fixture, <laughs> not necessarily with us scoring so many, but there we are. We'll we'll see. We'll keep our fingers crossed and live on in hope. Um, but anyway, the the Fulham fixture I've picked out was one I was at twenty um, eighth of December. I remember going to this one distinctly, nineteen seventy six. Fulham two, Millwall three at Craven Cottage. Um, I went there. Um, actually, I wasn't expecting a, 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 you know, much out of the game, but we we find a way win. Reason it sticks in my memory is that Fulham at that time were quite a glamorous side. They they um, signed Rod, Rodney Marsh, George Best, of course, Bobby Moore, and I believe Alan yeah. Mallory was was playing. So I mean, I went as much in expectation of um, seeing some of these great great players, but as it was, this was a fine away performance. Um, I'm just going to read out the Mill team, if I may. Neil, uh, Ray Goddard in goal, Dave Donaldson, Barry Kitchener, Tony Hazel. There was a great, great kind of defensive um, midfield stroke defender. Ray Evans, we've mentioned a few times, great, great um, right back. Trevor Lee, John Moore, Phil Walker, Barry Fairbrother. Um, and a player I'd forgotten, um, Pat Sharkey up front and John Seisman. 3-2 um, win for the Lions. And I couldn't find much in the way of reporting. It was a Christmas fixture, so there was no report in any of the daily papers that I could find. But I did find a, a paragraph or two 
of all um, papers from the Belfast Telegraph on the 29th, um, and saying that George Best, Rodney Marsh, and, and Jerry Payton, another Fulham player, are all doubtful because of injuries. I think they've been on the the Christmas um, on, the, on the Christmas lash. Personally, that was my yeah, my theory. With George Best, didn't they? <laughs> Um, Fulham will, will wait to see the report from referee John Homewood uh, before deciding whether to support George Best in an appeal for leniency when he faces a disciplinary request. Not like Bestie to have a disciplinary um, hearing. He's booked apparently at Chelsea. Chelsea back then were a second division side and he got himself, <clears throat> he'd reached 20, 20 points from a booking against Chelsea. Um, strange period. In, I mean, Jeff Best was, I'm glad to say I've seen him play where he was way, way past his his um his heyday when he played at the den which would be i think in the kind of spring of that season 76 77 he did play but he was well past his 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 pomp but for me neil i don't know how you feel about george best a genius um i mean my my experience of him was on tv of course but um perhaps the most talented player these islands have ever produced well how do you see him I think I, I I wouldn't actually disagree with that. It's a shame that he kind of went off the rails because the mind boggles at what the man could have achieved. Absolutely magnificent yeah. footballer. And yeah. I did see him play. I saw him actually play for Fulham. I think I must have been. Reporting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, it... And just the buzz that George Best was playing along with Absolutely. Yeah. There was another great player of that era, Maverick players, weren't they? The kind of players that you'd kill to have in the game. Now, I think I think that what with press officers and player liaison managers and God knows what else, they probably wouldn't go down too well. <laughs> but, but, but what great players. It always sticks in my memory watching George Best on a muddy pitch. I think it was against Northampton Town. Famous, famous, yeah. Yeah, and I was a huge fan, knee, fan of his. Knee deep in mud and just a skill to control the ball and do with it on those pitches what you wanted was absolutely unbelievable, my player. I think, I mean, I, I, I've listened to a podcast from a, a few years ago where they interviewed Chris Waddle and he made a similar point to the one I'm going to make now about Best. Um, he learned his trade, Waddle, I'm talking about playing um, as a kid, as a 14-year-old, playing men in pub football. So he, he, he basically advocated it as a means of learning how to ride a tackle, how to, how to, he would take the mickey out of blokes in a sense that he would put the ball through their legs, he could do stuff. And then they would <laughs> come after him because they, they'd been humiliated by this kid, you know. Um, but he said you learn to um, hold yourself and and to ride a sack. And I think that George Best, who was quite a slight player, really, when you when you see those old old um, images of him. But again, I mean, kicking a player was quite part it was quite part of the game. That's what I had to ha- you know you had to be able to handle that, and he did. But it's fascinating to see the football of that time. It, it is familiar and yet so different to to what is accepted now. And he actually had some cracking wives and girlfriends as well. Oh, <laughs> yeah. When it all go wrong. Famous joke, and when it all go wrong, all right. I mean, Rodney Marsh was actually the one I picked out because I think mean, Best was probably an obvious choice. And he, you know, Best for me, uh, it was a, uh, I was actually a member of the George Best fan club, listeners, as a kid. It was before Millwall, before I became a Millwall fan. Um, because he was just such a, 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 a compelling um, player. And a personality, probably the first personality player that we'd really seen in the modern era in, in, in football. 
But um, Rodney Marsh is just a, a fascinating character, born in, um, well, he's brought up in the East End, actually, Neil, and um, made his name with QPR. But in a similar way, I mean, best had league championships and the European Cup medal, but Marsh never seemed to quite fulfil his potential because he was a great player. He was a, he was a very, very flamboyant and um, imaginative midfielder come striker, wasn't he? Yeah, never played for the big clubs at the time, did he? Although QPR... Uh, just what they missed out on goal difference one year, didn't they, to Liverpool or something? Like yeah, that? they 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 finished second one to so the Jerry yeah. Francis era, wasn't it, in the midfield? Yeah. Um, attractive team to watch in in a day managed, I think, by Gordon Jago would come on to yeah. the Den at, uh, in the seventies. Um, yeah, QPR. Just looking at Marsh's career here, listeners: um, two hundred eleven appearances in the late sixties for, for QPR. Um, is that 100 goals? 100, 106 goals for, for Queen's Park Rangers. Then he went to Manchester City, which the Wikipedia page says was less successful because they were a bit of a, they were kind of like a Cinderella side. In the, it was only in recent times. It seems strange now that they're one of the richest clubs in football on the planet. But they were quite a Cinderella side in their time, Manchester City, always second best to Manchester United. And if they won a League Cup, they considered that like a high point of, <laughs> of the decade. And... Um, Marsh going there, I think, added probably a, a very Manchester City element in, in that they were good to watch at times, but not, not consistent. And then he moved to America. He would um, take his trade in the end to Tampa Bay Ray, Rowdies, apart from that brief um, trip back for Fulham, which is the fixture that we're talking about today, Rodney Marsh. Um, and also he's become quite successful out there in business as well. I'm reading latest, he made his, made his name and career out there after, after giving up the football. So there we are. Um, Fulham two mil three for me. Neil, did you have a did you have a choice for the, for the Fulham game? I did. I've gone. Uh, I've gone for a game in the sixties. Uh, I've okay. gone for an FA Cup third round game on the 9th of January nineteen sixty five. Finished Fulham three Millwall three. So FA Cup third round. Yep. Uh, we recovered from 3-1 down to secure ourselves a replay. We'd been knocked out by Kettering, of all people. The season before, <laughs> we were we were, we were were in Division 4, I believe, at the time, weren't we? Yeah, so we'd be Division... F- yeah, Division 4. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, just looking and following the, the first division, they had George Cohen, obviously, about to win a World Cup. World Cup, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Bobby Robson. Yeah, uh, thirteen years before he demanded the, the yeah, but they cracked out the flamethrowers. <laughs> I was at that game as well. <laughs> and Johnny Haynes, who was of course he was the first hundred pound a week footballer. Yeah, he was another big name of the day, wasn't he? Um, just we looking were... at the crowd to that fixture, twenty one thousand at the Den for the for the. Um... Oh, sorry, that was at Craven Cottage, excuse me. The, uh, the, the, the Den, um, for the replay, Neil, which would be a 2-0 win from your 3-3 draw there, but the the Den would have 31,000 packed into it for the replay. That's incredible, isn't it? It was absolutely unbelievable. But the team we had, this team is packed. Uh, we had uh, Alex Stepney in goal. Stepney in goal, yep. John Gilchrist, who I think, did he get an honourable mention on one of your uh, recent shows? We had mentioned him. Yeah, we have mentioned him. And um, I was actually at the Danny Baker show a few weeks back at Blackheath and he mentioned John Gilchrist 
uh, as part of one of his um, formative players when he when he first first started going, which would have been around the era. So yeah, um, Harry Cripps played Cripsy. in that game. Yeah, Dave Harper. Yeah, probably better known as the dad now of Frank Harper. Frank, the actor. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Tom Wilson. Yeah. Ray Goff, Di Jones. Yeah. Jimmy Whitehouse, who scored two goals. Uh, Len Julians. Hugh Curran, who I think got an honourable mention, didn't he? In your... We've mentioned him, yeah, another good striker of the day. Yeah, yep. and Dennis John, who's the player I've actually picked out to make okay. a little bit of bag. Uh, Plymouth Argyle's first apprentice, but, but well, trust me, listeners, it does get better. He was actually a <laughs> member of our squad that won back-to-back promotions, but wasn't a regular. Right. But he had actually had a singing career. Did he? I didn't know that. Yeah, he did. He had a singing career that really took off when he was at Millwall, and he actually had a record deal with EMI. Wow. And he actually made several records for EMI. <laughs> you, obviously haven't, yeah, you obviously haven't read my Millwall Who's Who available from Victor Publishing. Too, I've, right left, I've left it downstairs, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> this is how much prep I've done for the show, listeners. I should have brought it upstairs, but no. Yeah, well, available on Amazon and anywhere yeah. else. I recommend uh, it. He ended his career in South Africa and went on to represent South Africa in the Olympiad of Song in Athens. <laughs> what useless nonsense. Where did you that? find this information? How do you know that? He told <laughs> Great me. Stuff. Oh, he told you? He told me. He told me when I spoke to him. He died in 2013. Yeah, just seeing and that, his yeah. son is... The Welsh Rugby Union prop, Will Griffjohn. Oh, okay. Current Welsh Rugby yeah. Union prop. Bring us up to date. That's fantastic. This is why you should be listening to this show, listeners. There are no other contenders out there that bring you this kind of detail. And yes, I should have picked up Neil's book, and then I could sound like I know what I'm talking about too. <laughs> That's great detail, there, Neil. Fantastic stuff. Wow. So that was wow. a three-all draw, and we actually missed a penalty at 2-1. Harry Cripps missed a penalty. But yeah. but you can imagine what the what the dem was like for the replay, can't you? If anybody has got a memory of that, just hit us up and tell us about it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah but that crowd winning 2 0 yeah. with that um, team knocking a first division team out of the FA yeah. Cup. When you're a fourth division team, I don't think it probably happened too often back then. 31,000, that would have been, I mean, the, the, the famous um, line about the, the Coldblow Lane was it felt like a trap. I can't remember who said that. It was it was, it was was a quote from somebody. Like you're entering a giant trap at the end of uh, that, that um, railway arch road that I used to go along to get there. Um, I mean, the biggest crowd that I ever stood in at Coldblow Lane would be Liverpool um, in, in the first division season which was just a few days before Hillsborough, coincidentally, um, having just watched the um, the drama about the, um, I think it's called Anne, it's on Heidi, which is very good, listeners. But that was that was packed, that had 23,000. And believe me, um, there's the only time, in fact, Neil, I've ever been in a crowd that surged. You know, in the old, um, they show the cop used to have that kind of wave, almost like people surged, yeah. and it was like a, it moved. And that was the only time it ever happened to me. It didn't happen very often at the den, obviously. Um, but I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't, he had no control over where you went. I finished up from the back of the Cold Blow Lane end and finished up probably not very far away, but 
my feet came off the ground as the, uh, we scored. Danny Sum, I couldn't tell you a thing about the goal. I never saw it because it was so tightly packed. What it would be like with 31,000 in there, I, I, I genuinely don't know. I mean, it would have been intense. I can't, I can't imagine it. That was I intense. Think that more in once or twice, haven't we? Well, been up to the forty thousands and the you know forty eight thousand was famously the, uh, the, the 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 record for the ground. I mean, I suppose you're going back to the nineteen thirties for that, but this is the nineteen sixties, and I think you're right. I think we we got more than thirty thousand on that. I think the Spurs game was um, the the FA Cup game. I think that was in the high thirties. Was it thirty six, thirty seven thousand in the den? I, I I can't imagine that. I mean, it, it felt so tight that night against Liverpool. It was, what officially, was twenty three thousand. Um, I can't imagine what it'd be like another ten, fifteen thousand people in there. Incredible. Um, but yeah, great choice. Great choice. Achtung, Mailball. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But we must move along, Neil, because we've got seven fixtures of February to get through, mate. And um, next up on the list is Cardiff City. Um, and I've gone for a much more recent um fixture um just to try and contrast it i've been, been sticking i find myself I, I constantly go back to the 70s listeners i keep you know when you when you think of a fixture you think oh yeah i'm gonna go back to the 70s but I'm, I'm, i've gone with this one mostly because it just struck me what a, a, hey, there are some players that you remember neil and other players that are just totally bland and you don't think of them you, you forget they even existed and this is only in 2014 this is a one nil win for mill over cardiff city on 25th of october 2014 um, Mill's side, David Ford, Andy Wilkinson. I'd forgotten Andy Wilkinson. I, I, it, he played, he's there in the lineup. Can't remember him. Signed him on loan from Stoke or somewhere. This is where I need that book again. Listeners. Mark Beavers, Danny Shitter, obviously both both big names. Matthew Briggs. I'd forgotten the existence of two of our players there. Andy Wilkinson, and Matthew Briggs. Can't remember them. Can't we picture them. Fulham. We signed him from Fulham, I believe. Guyanese. And... Ancestors. That's right. That's, that's, that's got the, the national flag there. Yes, yeah, the Guyana national flag. Um, then we've got Sean Williams, who would go on to become a great servant for the club. 
Lee Martin, who I saw playing the other week at Ebbsfleet for Ebbsfleet versus, um, I think it was Concord Rangers, him and, and Joe Martin. Um, it was at Dartford Dave. Dart- Dartford Dave, I think, was is playing non-league for, was it, was it Glebe, I heard the other day? A, a VCD, oh, right. a VCD Athletic in Crayford. There are too many Lee Martins and Dave Martins. Dave Martins. Joe Martin, of course, was in that Ebbsfleet yeah. game. Ed Upson, who I do remember, thankfully. Ricardo Fuller, who is forever, um, you know, recalled for the, the shot that hit the... actually went onto the roof, didn't it, at the cold blow lane end? I mean, <laughs> Yeah, he gets unfairly maligned. I never thought he was that bad a player, but that's the thing that everyone remembers Ricardo uh, Fuller for because it was it actually um, went onto the roof of the cold blow lane in when he missed a chance, um, which didn't endear him to the to the, the, the patrons of the den listeners, of course. And then you got Lee Gregory, who again great servant for the club, um, a very Millwall player in so many respects. Lee, Lee Gregory um, coming from you know the electrician's trade as he did, and then Scott McDonald, little Scott. Again, I, it, 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 I remember him. He slipped my mind completely until I saw this team lineup. And the reason I mention all those players um, is that we spend a lot of time, Neil, on uh, the, player, the the big moments, the incidents, and the players that you do remember. But often, the the joy of football is in the blokes you completely forgotten. Right, Andy Wilkinson. I'd forgotten him completely, and there he is in that starting eleven. Quite a steady player, I seem to remember. I think we signed him on loan from Stoke. <clears throat> I think, I think, uh, yeah, but I can't remember why. It must have been no, done or something like that. Matthew, on the on the bench, Tom King, who is who's actually doing quite well for himself now in lower lower level Division uh, One, Division Two, uh, League One, League One Two football. Um, and Jimmy Abdu is on the bench in this game. Uh, it didn't show, and it, it wasn't substituted. Byron Webster came on. For Matthew Briggs in the seventy-second minute, and Martin Walford. I always liked Martin Walford, and we he one that seemed to slip through our through our um, our fingers a little bit. He came on for Ricardo Fuller in the seventy-eighth minute. Um, so there we are. Nothing particularly outstanding about that fixture. I just thought I'd contrast the past with this. one of the strange things of age. Nil listeners, is you can yeah, remember past more easy than recent. It's absolutely amazing the players that you do forget. Yeah. That, yeah, that you think, oh Christ, yeah, he played yeah. for us, didn't he? Absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Fourteen hundred players, you don't remember them all, do you? Mind you, we're slagging off um, Gary Rowett for signing loads of midfielders and going nowhere. But look at this bench here. I mean, you've got Tom King in in, in goal as a substitute goalkeeper. Jimmy Abdu, uh, Byron Webster, Richard Chaplow, and Martin Walford. Midfielders class, as they are. I mean, he might have, he's probably better going forwards than he was defending but that was a defensive minded bench as well so anyway yeah, we, we managed to scratch out a win that day against Cardiff yeah Richard Chapler a player that we wish had we'd forgotten had played for us <laughs> his standout moment was when he was playing Monopoly when he was dropped wasn't he <laughs> Monopoly. Yeah, um, nothing like a good yeah, board game <laughs> yeah then you get beat 5-6-0 at Watford and we got slaughtered meltdown with an absolute pile on and he put a, he posted that he loved playing board games with the family. Nothing like it on Boxing Day. I think we got slaughtered at Watford, as you say, which I went down an absolute lead balloon online. I think that was the end of Richard Chaplow as, as a Millwall player, not with, with no great um, you know sense of loss afterwards. Did you have a Cardiff game that you're going to go for, Neil? I did. I've gone for one from the seventy one seventy two season because okay uh, because. I hadn't opened some post, obviously, not being here for a while. And I came across, and one of the things was your 
brilliant calendar. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. With me. And uh, so I saw that and I thought 1971-72. Yeah. I went for Millwall 1, Cardiff 1. It was... Okay. This was when March we started 11th. to choke yeah. a little bit. Yeah, on March 11th. Yeah. This was the beginning and the end, I think. It was the second of three draws that we had. Yes, we did. Yeah. And... Uh, and we went 1-0 down. Alan Warboys scored after eight minutes. And then Derek Posse equalised after 56, 56. minutes. Yeah. Uh, Brian Clark played for Cardiff that day. And I just made a note, Brian Clark later in Millwall. Yes, he was. But the match report I pulled out, it's, it said... It said that Dunphy was on the bench and didn't come on in this game, and it said that we missed him. Okay. And yet, if you speak to some players from that era, Dunphy cost us promotion that season because he <laughs> couldn't be bothered. Of obviously, Amen, if you are actually listening to this and you want to <laughs> put things right, get in touch, and we'll gladly speak to you. He said uh, Millwall played like uh, frigidity men, or sorry, fidgety men. Fidgety men. men. Okay. Afraid of making mistakes and thinking too much of the first division. Well, well, I, I mean, I, that predated my time. I, my very first game was actually a, a couple of weeks after this fixture that you picked out. You know, I, I, my first game was yeah. Portsmouth on March the 31st. So this would be uh, March the 11th, so just a couple of weeks beforehand. And as you say, three draws, uh, two all at home to Swindon, one all that we're talking about against Cardiff, and then a nil-nil at Blackpool. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's hard for me at this length to to form a, a rounded view of Dunphy because, um, you know, you, you, you're you standing on the terracing as a child, you, you just hear the kind of a very, just, you hear divisive opinions about everyone, don't you? So I can't, I don't remember that much of him as a player, but, um, you know, kind of, the, the profiles I've read of him since describe his ability with the ball. And I think he probably was an artistic player in a in a in a in a, a side that um was Benny Fenton had us playing fairly functional football um at that point. And it, it was winning football, but we did go off the board a little bit when you look at the results at that time. And that cost us. Yeah. Cost us and I promise we haven't discussed anything of this beforehand. But no. I'm just reading the match report here and you run um you mentioned George Best and, and yeah. certain tackling. This guy, uh, the match report from the people uh, said there was never any chance of this entering the files of dirty matches under strict referee Ray Tinkler. But there were three bookings for Bell, Brown and Alder for desperate fouls committed in the cause of promotion and relegation, whichever side you are on. Why can't I write like Steve Richards that wrote this? <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, I mean, some of the some of the reportage of the time was wonderful. Some of it was quite basic, and um, some of it was very very slanted against us. So it, it, it varies, but that's 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 beautiful prose. I love referee Ray Tinkler. Who sounds like he should be in Carry On Referee or something, shouldn't he? You know, the, yeah, Doctor Tinkler. He probably was. <laughs> I think I've seen him on the big match. He always used to have. Short shorts and bloody, yeah, you know, the referees they used to wear the zip up tops, zip up tops, 
the, the the character of characters. I mean, going totally off a tangent on this of seventies referees was Roger Kirkpatrick, who I've Patrick, seen. Yeah, he had this kind of flamboyant um, gesture. The way we go, you know, you kind of like point kick off, and he had a, he had a very very distinctive style. Well, it was um, Phil Dowd of the time before <laughs> Phil Dowd, and who was quite famous for his exaggerated movements and hand signals. But Roger Kirkpatrick, he was on another level, wasn't he? With his big mutton chop, mutton chop sideburns. There we are. Anyway, we are, we are digressing, listeners, as ever. Um, that's a great choice, Neil. So that's Millwall. Um, what was the result? It was three three, you said, wasn't it, Neil? Um, no, one one. One one each. One each. Sorry, in in nineteen. 72 and one all draw uh, with Cardiff. But we must move along, Mr. Fisler. And um, we come along to Queen's Park Rangers um, now. And I've gone for a fixture from 1900, listeners, an FA Cup fixture. Um, 1900. This was played at Kensal Rise. The Rangers have been at a number of different West London locations before they finished up at Loftus Road. Kensal Rise which looks like a fairly substantial stadium when I've looked at um, some of the pictures of, of, of the ground. Um, but this was a win for the Lions in the FA Cup in 1900, 17th of Feb, 1900. I think we go on to make the semi-finals in, in that season um, as Millwall Athletic. And this is a report from The Referee, which was a newspaper of the time, specialising in, in football generally. Um, Millwall Athletic, it says, made no mistake when they engaged Queen's Park Rangers in the second round of the English Cup at Kensal Rise Saturday afternoon. A great game was expected, and this expectation might have fairly well been realised, but for the heavy going um, and, and, and the foul tactics of both teams. Now, heavy going and foul tactics of both teams. Um, and further on... Um, it mentions again, um, the ground will have to be properly drained in future if really good football is to be played at this venue. It sounds like an absolute mud bath. Um, and then there's a, a, a second report from the same game. They used to use pseudonyms for their writers. Like This is by an, an old ranger. And he refers to um, the mud being ankle deep. This <laughs> Ankle deep. <laughs> Try and play a game of football on on that. Um, we 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 did prevail. A goal from Gettins, um, scoring um, five minutes before time, so eighty fifth minute, I guess. And Shot then get. earlier, two second half goals prevailing for for the uh, the Dockers in this FA Cup tie. Um, but the the muddy conditions really stood out for for me because I think we were not averse to a bit of mud at the North Greenwich Ground from what I've read. Neil, that was also yeah, no, prone to flooding, it, wasn't it? Yeah, I think. I think the whole, I think the whole area was built on marshland, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and so clearly um, was Kensal Rise, QPR's ground. I mean, whether that would yeah, be a factor in the moving, drainage, would you? Yeah, but back then, yeah, but these days they put all kinds of stuff in, and you wouldn't have had it back then. You just wait for it to dry out, wouldn't you? And if you, yeah, but if you yeah. didn't, you just got on with it. There was no such thing as a match postponed because of a muddy pit or anything no, like that. No, it had to be quite extreme for a game to be postponed. I'm just trying to think back to Cold Blow Lane. My, I mean, at the start of the season, it always looked pretty good uh, as a pitch. Um, the It would wear. I think probably now there's much more emphasis on the, um, uh, what's the, it, like the horticultural side. I, think. I don't know if that's the right term for grass maintenance, professional sports uh, turf maintenance. Um, and the, the 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 pitch would certainly age badly across a season at, at Coldwell Lane, but it always 
I can't recall many postponed games there. It had to, go, it had to be really extreme weather to to put uh, end a game at, at the old den. Um, and obviously, the new ground has got heated, um, you know, cables laid under it to, to prevent frosting and whatnot. But it's got all sorts laid under it, hasn't it? It costs a hell of a lot of money. I think when they did it, the end of or the start of last season, wasn't it? The end start of yeah. the season. I mean, I love this. This just before we close out on this, I'm just, the the prose and, and and the writing of these old reports was wonderful. So the headline is from this is from the old ranger, ankle deep in mud. He says, with a lowering sky overhead and a blatant onlooking crowd, a blatant onlooking crowd, which um, which must have obtained proportions seldom seen in this south of England, the green and white of QPR of Queens Park Rangers. Uh, loomed up on those of the dark blue of Millwall. I think that's that's the kind of writing I want to read from my journalists out there. I don't know if that's possible, but that's where we want to take it. So there we are. Did you have a QPR game, Neil? Or I that, did. Um... Um, I, yeah, this all makes sense. It's for no other reason. It was a Good Friday game, 3rd of April 1953. Yep. Finished Millwall 2, QPR 1. Goal scorers were Jock Smith and Johnny Hartburn. What a name that is, Johnny Hartburn. Right, <laughs> Conway Smith got QPR's goal. Okay. The middle side was Malcolm Finlayson, Alex yep. Jardine. I think I picked out another Scotsman that was in your Scottish special. We've yes, right. We've mentioned Alex Jardine before now. Yep. George Fisher, whose brother Jack Fisher. Died a f- couple of weeks ago. Was our oldest surviving player at ninety five, ninety six, I think. Very distinctive looking brothers. A very kind of high cheekbone, very dark hair, and kind of very strong brown eyes. Both of them, though, they're very distinctive. You always know the Fisher brothers in those old photos, Neil, don't you? Yeah, and they were born actually where the East Stand now sits at the Den, when it was obviously uh, when it was obviously all housing around there, right. Okay. So we had a guy called John Short, Jerry Bowler, I think it was Northern Ireland International, Alan right. Thrippleton, who okay. was actually a deaf player, was profoundly deaf. They had to wow. communicate with hand, sign- with hand signals. Ended up wow. becoming a postman, a wow. northern lad, but was that's, actually that's, deaf. And, uh, that's, that's quite something. They reckoned it affected his game quite a lot because... It, Embarrassment, or it just wasn't, just yeah. wasn't a thing back then. As the thing was, it Johnny Johnson also played in that game. Wow. Fred Smith, one of the goal scorers. Frank Neary, who a uh, former QPR player. Pat Sayward, who became a decent manager, and uh, also I think played for Aston Villa in a cup final, didn't they? Right. Johnny Hartburn. We were third in the league at the time. Johnny uh, <laughs> yeah, but I've left you with that one now, haven't I? When we're talking about Austin, well, <laughs> back back when I back when I was a, a kind of a regular member of the working population, listeners, I used to have a, 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 a he wasn't a full ticket. This chap, so I probably I don't know if that's the right politically correct term for him, but he wasn't a full ticket. And he, his his thing was he used to write to me and call me Mister Heart Attack, like a double barrel name, Mister Heart Attack. <laughs> <laughs> and it was meant as, it was meant as an insult um but it was it was always made me laugh um so there he is yeah uh, 110 appearances johnny hartburn 110 appearances 30 goals 1951 50 51 season to 53 54 great players great names um good choice of fixture mate thank you for that um 
So next up after QPR, we're playing. It's a relentless month, listeners. Blimey, I keep I keep thinking those must be the last one now, but it's not. It's next up is Blackburn, Blackburn Rovers, and I've gone for a game um, from nineteen seventy nine. Notable because it was an FA Cup game, Neil. Um, we'd, we'd actually drawn Blackburn Rovers at home, but we had to play it at Ewood Park because the den was under a, a closure order from the FA uh, due to the, the unfortunate incident of a, the odd riot that happened in the Ipswich Town quarterfinals on, in front of BBC TV cameras. There's a, there's yeah, a, 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 we're actually linking all of these things together because we mentioned the flamethrower with Bobby Robson. <laughs> and I said we have not spoken about these fixtures i know you said no 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 we don't pick the same games out well it's half the fun is is springing on each other i think so you can whatever comes into your head is is the entertainment for the listeners out there um this would finish it does link in with uh, with um, bobby robson you're right actually um because of the incidents in 1978 a game i was at i I often find myself saying yeah i was at that game like i'm some kind of face that i was in there organizing all these these situations and i wasn't i've been led a peaceful life but um i was there at the the the, the ipswich riot um i was there at the luton riot i was there in 2002 um you're probably there at the birmingham riot as well (laughs) (laughs) he says he's peaceful he's there organizing it i know that's what people are saying at home um, this finished 2 1 to Blackburn, played at Ewood Park, despite it being a, a drawn as, as a Mill home fixture. Um, unlucky, apparently. We're unlucky in this game. Uh, we exited the Cup 78 uh, 79 season, a difficult season. I think that was under George Petch's management, if memory serves. Um, we, uh, we, had, uh, we went close through, um, I think, Tony Towner, great winger, Tony Towner on the wing. Um, later would have um, would have equalised. Blackburn had John Radford, who I think, Neil, if that's the same John Radford has played for Arsenal in their double winning side. I think he was a, a striker with with, uh, with Arsenal in, in the early 70s. I think. Anyway, um, Phil Walker scored for the Lions. Sadly, not enough up there in, in Lancashire. Blackburn, Lancashire. Pat Cuff, who was much berated, listeners, and I think I may have joined in this um, hounding of Pat Cuff as the worst goalkeeper of all time. Um, and we've looked at this a couple of times, and I don't think his numbers were actually as bad as memory memory serves, but he's mentioned here um, as making a, a miraculous save. Um, Rovers have been desperately close on so many occasions, with Cuff, Pat Cuff, miraculously scooping a pull-round effort off the line, um, which just goes to show that it's your memory is, um, is a construction, not necessarily the truth. So there we are. You've spent too much time with Neil Andrews. <laughs> he's, he's, well, Neil's one of these uh, guys that produces statistics to disprove your memory, you know, <laughs> which is always a problem. <laughs> I, I prefer the fantasy. Was it? They said write the story, not the facts, you know. Um, so yeah, miracle save from Pat Cuff there at, uh, at Blackburn, and a loss that should have been played at the Den, but was played at Ewood Park. Ewood Park. I never know how you pronounce that. So yeah, Blackburn. Did you have a Blackburn fixture, Neil? Or? I do. I've picked you out. Do. Uh, okay. I've just had a very quick look because obviously okay. I'm totally ill prepared for this as always. Well, I, I always have that hopeful tone in my voice, uh, listeners, because Neil said to me he, he hadn't got all the fixtures covered. So I, everyone now, I'm wondering it's lucky dip time. Is this the one where Neil runs out of fixtures? And I said, oh, that's hence the hopeful. 
upward questioning swing of my thing. You got a fiction, Neil? I've actually bloody lost it, so we'll have to come back to it. I'll, I'll, find, it. It. I'll find it. I'll find it. You're going to have to cut this bit out. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Right. The fixture I've got, Nick, is from the seventh of September, nineteen sixty-eight. Right, and it was Blackburn Rovers two, Millwall four, and uh, we came back from two 0 down to win this particular game. Okay. Uh, Don Martin scored two goals for Blackburn Rovers in the first 17 minutes. Then Ken Jones pulled one back for us after 42 minutes. Yep. Good old Harry then scored two, Mr. Cripps. Probably probably actually the only time in his career that he ever scored two goals in a game. <laughs> after 63 and then 88. So that put Late us... Up, yeah. Three, three to eight, yeah. Yeah. And then Keith Weller scored almost immediately kickoff. That was... For nine thousand nine hundred and twenty-three people, great, one... great team. I know, yeah, but I never keep on saying great. But there's somebody in here that I'd forgotten have actually played for us, and I've written what a book was... on that. Uh, okay. The, the the side was Brian King, John Gill, Chris Harry, Cripps, Ken Jones, Barry Kitchener, Dennis Burnett, Derek Posse, Keith Weller. Brian Conlon was the player that I'd forgotten had played for us. Okay. I think he came to us on loan from somewhere like Oxford or somewhere like that. George Jacks, Billy Neal, and Mr. Dunphy came off the bench in this game. I just the, mercurial, the mercurial Mr. Dunphy. If, if you were to ask me if there's one player I'd love to have seen, because I, I started going in 72, as I think I've said many, many times there. Um, but if I could pick one player I would love to have seen, it would have been Keith Weller in a Millwall shirt, Neil. Um, everything I've read about him says what a silky, skillful midfielder man. Again, possibly another player that never fulfilled his potential. He finished up at, um, I think he played for, for Leicester after us. And I think he also went to America like so many um, professionals did at that time, especially from what you might call the, the 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 kind of more artistic side of the game and and, and Weller was a skillful player. Um and I just wish it'd be one of those players I wish I'd seen. I've never seen I, it predated me so I never saw him. But if I could have a wish it'd be Keith Weller as a as a as a Millwall player. Just very quickly looked up Brian Conlon in in the Millwall Who's Who uh, available from Victor on Publishing on Amazon. <laughs> And he's going to pay my mortgage. And we will still we'll put a link in it. Don't worry. We'll put a link in the show when it goes out. Uh, Brian Conlon, we actually paid £15,000 from Darlington in November Darlington. 67. Darlington. He scored on his debut against Crystal Palace in an away game in November 1967, month, oh. a year before I was born. Uh, and he only really spent a year at the club. He 13 goals in 45 games and we shipped him off to Norwich City, uh, became a milkman and died after a long illness aged 57. So That's no no great age, is it? 57? Wow. No. Wow. no. Couldn't have fitted in with Benny's, Benny's master plan that would come to fruition in 71-72, ultimately. Um, a, a name I don't know. I mean, Conlon is not a name that I know. But interesting, talking about Darlington, it was when I was um, went to the Middlesbrough game um, a few months ago now. 
actually drove past the the Darlington Stadium that almost well, it did finish the club off, didn't it? it bankrupted them as a club. There's, it did. It did. I think it's uh, now a rugby ground or something. It's a rugby union ground. I can't remember the name of the, the, the rugby union site. It's on the side of the stadium as you go past. Oden Park, I believe. Nice, nice looking ground. Nice looking stadium. Um, and I think Darlington. I think it may have been reformed as a Phoenix club playing through the local leagues now, but it actually bankrupted Darlington FC. But the stadium. Um, lives on as as you say, they were a rugby union, rugby union ground. Now. So yeah, drove past it on the way into onto Middlesbrough a few weeks back. Just as a total aside, this is the kind of thing you listen to this show for, listeners. Um, that's a great choice there, Neil. So we move along. We move along from Blackburn. We next have, as I flip my iPad up, we've got Derby County um, in this torrent of fixtures, seven fixtures in February. Um, I don't think of podcasters when they, they carve all these fixtures out. Do they? Yeah, no, they, they don't think of me and you trying to do a fixture trying show. To do something, <laughs> trying to do something vaguely interesting for the listeners out there. But anyway, there we are. I've gone for one from 2012, another more recent fixture. Um, a win for Mill 2-1 over Derby County, 10th of November 2012. Um, and the reason that I've gone for it really is that I saw playing for Derby um, was one Theo Robinson, who signed for us briefly and then signed. He, he was sold almost as quickly as he seemed to play for us. I, th- I don't think he made barely any 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 appearances at all, actually. I'm going to have a quick look at him as I'm talking. So I did my, my prep ran out for this this show, listeners, at a certain point. But I'm just going to look and see it. Theo Robinson. One thing I do remember is he, I, I, I did a selfie. He was wearing a really shiny silver suit, like um, it was almost like Baco foil. This suit he was wearing. He parked in the Den car park shortly after his um, he'd signed for us. And I, I said Theo, 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 and I took a picture of myself with Theo wearing this bright silky uh, suit. Eight appearances, three as a substitute, and he scored three goals. What a bad striker, really. I thought he was quite a decent signing, but he just didn't. It just didn't happen for him at the end, did it? He could, must have fallen foul of the manager, which would have been Kenny, I think, at that point. Yeah, I think it was Kenny. I think I'd love to get to the bottom of what happened with him one day because it was almost like one minute he was here, one minute he wasn't. And Yeah, quite literally. I mean, we signed him for a reported or thought to be reported, whatever way you want to put it, 300,000, which is no... You know, it's, it's no no mean sum of money at the den. You don't we don't spend anything unless we can help it, as we can see right now. You know, um, and then he was gone also for three hundred thousand to to Derby, um, and that was the last we saw of him. But um, I, I thought he was a pretty good player, I and mean, when when we signed him, I was I was well pleased. Fast, quick, pacey forward, but he must have fallen foul of Kenny Jacket. That's all about all I can think of. Mill lineup that day in that two one win over Derby, the great David Falling goal, Shane Lowry. Who's um his goal at Cholton gets run every now and again on on the uh, on on social media. Adam Smith, I forgot he played for us. Adam Smith, Mark Beavers, Danny Shitu, Jimmy Abdu, who um recently very unluckily with the Comoros went out of the African Nations Cup at the age of thirty seven, sent off in five minutes. <laughs> very memorable. Um, Liam Feeney, remember Liam Feeney, Neil? He was um another high profile winger, wasn't he? At one point, Chris Taylor. Liam Trotter, Andy Keogh, and Chris Wood, who would go on to fame and fortune in the Premier League, and not us, despite us. I think we're ready to pawn the family silver to, to get his signature, but he didn't sign for us. Um, on the bench, we had Mark, Mike Taylor, um, Jack Smith, Scott Malone, 
Carly Osborne that day and Sean Batts. Otherwise, an unremarkable fixture for us, but there we are. Move to Derby 1 from 2012. And I've picked one out from 2004. Okay. Very quickly. It was uh it was a Christmas game. It was Tuesday the twenty eighth of February. Yeah. Sorry, of December. February. Where did I get February from? Twenty the twenty eighth of December two thousand and four at Pride Park. Finished Derby County nil, Millwall three. And yes, Barry it is. Hale's hat trick. Barrington Hales. Great. I, I like Barry Hales. Good player. I did. Thought he was a fantastic little player. And he's been around the we've been around the, the track a few times, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He scored goals everywhere. And I can remember going to Pride Park for this game, thinking probably a draw was the best that we were gonna get. Yep. And we absolutely smashed them off the park. We really did. It it, it, it was one of those memorable Millwall away days. Just looking look at the recently with some Fondness, yeah, the lineup decent side. Andy Marshall in goal, yeah, Kevin Muscat. Muscat, uh, what we would give for Kevin Muscat in our team right now, Neil. I would, uh, I'd pawn everything I've got for Kevin Muscat to come back in in, the, in his heyday. Yeah, some people want him as manager, so <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, David Livermore, Jody Morris, yes, yep, Matt Lawrence, Mark yep, Mark Phillips, happy birthday. I think it Absolutely. was a couple of days ago. Yep. Uh, Dennis Wise was the player manager. Dennis Wise, I saw him um, having a. Dennis Wise was at the Vatican. He had, I don't know how Dennis Wise finishes up at the Vatican. Maybe he's a Catholic. I don't know. But uh, with a selfie, selfie featuring the Pope, who looked the Pope looked quite disgruntled at being in Wise's mo- mobile phone shot. <laughs> but anyway, I've, I've got off on a tangent. I've interrupted your flow there, mate. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, Adrian Siriu, do you remember him? I do, the long throw, man, yeah. Him of the long throw that caused <laughs> havoc at, Briefly. against Leicester, wasn't it? Leicester That's right. He set up the only goal of an awful game. That's right. Marvin Elliott, decent midfielder. Good player, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Danny Dicchio, who, Dicchio. I, who I thought did us quite good service as well, actually. He did, he did, yeah, yeah. Barry Hales and Peter Sweeney. Peter Sweeney, I like Peter Sweeney, but he was a, a kind of a uh, the kind of player that I think managers would probably pull their hair out with because he was quite inconsistent. When he was good, he was very good. When he was bad, he was horrid, wasn't he? Yeah, and the Derby side, one of their substitutes was was Mr. Baroness Brady, Paul Pesky Salida. Pesca Salida, or whatever you pronounce his name. Good choice. I like that choice. Some good players, you know. It's, it's, it, that's quite a lineup. I mean, you know, at the moment, we the, the complaint of any Mill fan at the moment is that we have no passion. That was a side that was, you know, what wise Muscat. <laughs> we, Morris. He, he didn't do much of us, Morris. But um, you know, the, certainly um, DKO. I mean, these were these were one hundred percenters, and um, I, I, I always like watching that that side. Good choice, Neil. So we come to the final fixture of February which is Sheffield United. And I've picked out a fixture from 1939, just purely because um, any fixture from 1939 always seems quite poignant because um, just a few months later, football will be the least of the country's worries. But this was a 4-0 win for the Lions at Coldblow Lane. Um, and I just, I suppose it just, you get a sense of what, the club was trying to move towards prior to the outbreak. Well, we've said it a few times. I won't flog the point, Neil, but 
the club was planning for um, an assault on the first division. This was this was the plan for for the, for the club under Charlie Hewitt, and you get a sense of what would possibly or never would happen, but it would possibly could have been as Millwall slammed four past league leading Sheffield United, and this is a report from the Sunday Pictorial, which I think is the Sunday Mirror. Um, Mill four Sheffield United. Neil, a brilliant display by Millwall, kept 30,000 fans, Neil, roaring at the den yesterday. And there'll be a sound re reason for sore throats around New Cross Way today. I guess that's um, alluding to having a few beers after the game. Millwall would have met the Masters in every phase of the game. Sheffield cannot hold their midweek game as an alibi. They had a midweek fixture. They were outplayed by a vastly superior team. And in front of 30,000. And although league-wise, I think we weren't particularly um, doing well this particular season, you do get a sense that this was a side that had the potential to fire its way to the, the next level of English football, first division football, but for a certain Austrian dictator all the way over there in, in Berlin. 4-0 um, win for the Lions, 1939. I always find it quite poignant because, you know, the world would change within a few months and that would be that. But um, just gives you a sense of what could have been. You have a decent side. Duncan Uly in goal again. Isaac Lee, Ted Smith, Tom Brolly, Ted Chiverton, Jimmy Forsyth. Fred Fisher, who scored two goals, was yeah. killed in action in World War Two. I think he was our own... Uh, I think we had two players killed in World War Two, And he was one of them, was killed. I think he was a flying observer, went up in an aeroplane and got shot down over France somewhere. Wow. Well, Jimmy Richardson scored a goal. John McLeod or or McLeod, uh, Don Barker scored one, and Red Smith. So, so, and and we were building. People might say, "Well, we haven't heard of Arthur, but we were building. There was money in the club. We'd started to spend money on players. Yep, and the ambition was there. I think we just started to improve the den as well. I think they constructed a. Bigger version of the the old seated stand. Those those of us that remember it, I think it was a bigger, <clears throat> more kind of grand version of that. And as you say, they'd invested both in playing staff and in the grounds. Um, I always remember there's a, there's a team photograph from the I think it might be the season before 38, 37, might be 38, 39. But the, the team photos, a large group of players, with a kind of um, like a commissionaire type figure. So there's like a, a bellboy, like a hotel. You know, they got a commissionaire. Bellboys, this is they were trying to. Um, I, th I think you got to put this down to Charlie Hewitt, who had ambitions to um turn football into an entertainment as he saw it. I mean, the the the, the, the shirts that had a kind of a sheen to them. This was a this was a much an attempt to take Mill down a kind of a, what you might call a, a, a classier, glossier look, um, and root generally, I think. Um, gentrifiers, I think. Gentrifiers. <laughs> and it took Adolf Hitler to stop them. Um, Lions would finish 13th in this final season of full league football, 38-39. Um, but as you say, you're right, Neil, this was this was building for the future. A future, unfortunately, would um, be shattered by, by the onslaught that would come within a, a year or two. Sheffield United would finish second and get promoted that season to the, to the top flight, which the following season, I think a, a couple of games took place before war was declared. And then that would be that until post-war 1946-47 onwards. Um, but there we are, 4-0 win over Sheffield United. Did you have a, a fixture for the Sheffield, Neil? 
No, I think uh, yeah, I think we've bored everyone quite enough after an hour and six minutes, haven't we? I think we probably have, mate. Yeah, we've all waffle about what could have been all those years ago, but for the bombs. Um, great stuff, Neil. I want to thank you for and welcome you back, mate. It's great to have you back on the show. I do enjoy these these nostalgic trips down the highways and byways of wherever we go with it. So great to see you back and good, and you, you're looking well. So big welcome back to Neil Fissler. And um, big thank you to you two listeners for, for tuning in. Do buy yourself Neil's book. So stop him mentioning it all the time. Mill Who's Who. It's on victorpublishing.co.uk. It's a fantastic work. Um, I, I mean, there's no exaggeration when I say I put it in the same category as Lines of the South. It's, it's a definitive book. Well worth um, £20 of anyone's money. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, I think, too, Neil, can't you? From, yeah, you can. Victor. I think you can order it in one or two other places. But we've actually got... Uh, the great thing about being in hospital is you've got nothing to do. So I've actually produced a long list of history shows, which I think Nick and myself are going to plough through at some stage. Some quite interesting. We'll we having ideas all the time. That's great stuff, mate. I really appreciate your time, Neil. Good to see you again, mate. All the best. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Ask Me. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky review. A reduction Till next time. Who do you want to watch? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.